Raja Pinks. You are listening to Behind the Lens. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Jar Jar. You are listening to Behind the Lens. Welcome back for yet another week. October has proved to be just an amazing, amazing month with guests. And we've got a couple more amazing ones uh, here today. But for those of you first-time listeners, for those of you coming back, I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with filmmakers, with actors, with writers, with composers, with screenwriters, costumers, editors, sound guys um, in television and film. As well as, you all know, our annual uh, tribute to Stage L.A. and other theater productions. But every Monday, you can find me right here on Adrenaline Radio at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, So, oh, and the rest of the time, you can now find our show, in case you miss us live and you're catching us on a repeat, BehindTheLensOnline.net, along with all my movie reviews and interviews, iTunes, and now... We just joined with Indie Popcorn. IndiePopcorn.fm now carries the podcast of our live show. So you can find Behind the Lens everywhere. Um, and especially now in awards season, there's a lot of great stuff coming up. Uh, a lot of great interviews you're going to be hearing excerpts of. Uh, today, though, we have joining me live in studio is a good friend of mine, somebody I adore, a filmmaker, a writer. He has couple books that have been published he's a newspaper publisher too of course he doesn't like to talk about that too much and no he's not the one that many of you are thinking of that could give harvey weinstein a run for his money um so welcome charles west mcnulty thank you very much for having me debbie and you're sitting here he's sitting here when you see the when you see the video you'll see he's getting all red yeah, I'm shy. <laughs> but now, now, how'd you like that opening with, with Jar Jar Binks? That was great. That was a, that was a nice surprise. <laughs> uh, you, uh, um, Did you, you have Jar Jar Binks in studio here? Uh, <laughs> no, we had somebody who can do Jar Jar very well. That is courtesy of the one and only Stephen Alaric. Oh, I had no idea he uh, he had that talent. He's just has boundless talent. That guy. Yes, yes. Our regular listeners know Steve was here again last yeah. week in studio, um, but. Yeah, that was one. He told the story on one show when he was here that he had to audition for something and they wanted something unique that would make him stand out. Well, he could do Jar Jar's voice. So that's so funny. So, yeah. So he did a record of Jar Jar that we pop in, especially as we're doing a countdown to Star Wars now. Oh, yeah. The Last Jedi seems appropriate to start bringing Jar Jar in every week. But yeah, I mean, did you know that Steve actually was the first Simba on Broadway? I did know that actually. Oh, that yeah. that you knew. That I did know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a. Uh, he's. I think he. Uh, he might still get an occasional fan mail <laughs> because of that. All these years later. Oh my god! It's so impressive. The guy that he can sing, he can dance. He's just and polite. He, you know, and if everything. and if you've watched him in any of, you know, he plays law enforcement and military so mm-hmm. well. Yeah. I mean, he just did his episode of NCIS was just on two weeks, uh, two Sundays ago. Um, I know he has an indie film coming up that he can't talk about yet. Mm-hmm. But when he can, I know he'll tell us. And he was on Fear of the Walking Dead. I saw him play military in that. Yes. Did you see that? Yes, I did yeah. see that one. That was cool. So he's, uh, and then he gets so many national commercials mm-hmm. too. Yeah. We're lucky he talks to us anymore. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's gonna. It, we're, you're gonna. You're gonna get to that point. Oh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, I'm a. I work under a pen name a lot. I. I don't even. I know. You know, he's a. You know, Steve is a. Got his own name to work under, but I'm, I get a little bit shy about things, so I, I have to do it under. I the, know the it's. Guys. A, it's. It's only <laughs> taken me how long to get you to come on the show? Yeah, a, a while now. Yeah. yeah, and I was surprised when you said you wanted to. I very much want to. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again for having me. This oh. is really cool here with the microphones and the. All these gizmos. It's and, a it's a real studio. Yeah, it's. I was just saying before, it looks like a uh, like a cockpit of an airplane back there. It's like there's. <laughs> it's pretty intimidating. With the boards yeah. and yeah, and Pam's running around somewhere. Yeah, Pam is engineering today, um, as always, and of course, she's always here, prompt and on time, does sound checks. It's refreshing. Mm-hmm. It's refreshing. And Nick is not here. Station owner Nick is not here using me as a guinea pig this week. So the past couple weeks, he's been playing because he does his own radio show, Things Green, and 
he likes to do Facebook Live when he does it. Mm. Well, then he decided, well, let's improve the lighting because now he wants to start doing more video himself mm -hmm. in addition to his actual TV shows on KCAL and PBS and, and all of that of things green. So put in a lovely light bar, light strip in here, has another backup light. Um, and the past couple weeks he was playing with a new, the robo camera that rotates and he can control it from his phone. Wow. <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm having, I'm suffering from future shock a little bit. I think oh. every, every day, a little by little, it's just, uh, I can't quite keep up with everything. Well, Facebook Live, it's I, nuts. No, I, I can't, I can't, you know. This is, this is as high tech as I go. Television, you know, regular standard broadcast or internet broadcast is as high as I go. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's it. You know, as we were talking about earlier before the show, paper and pen, using maps, yeah. actual maps, opening them up. Yeah. Yes, I still have a Thomas Guide in my car, so. As you should. As I should, mm -hmm. as everyone should. So when the satellites fall from the sky, you can still <laughs> find your way around. Yep. But, so it's very exciting because you now have your second book out. Yeah. Your first one talked about on the show earlier when Renee Scotty Dallow mm -hmm. was on, uh, brilliant, brilliant uh, wedding consultant with the company Moxie Events. Um, and, oh, my God, she fell in love with the book. Yeah, I'm really happy uh, she liked it. You know, it's it's the type of thing where it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it seems like the people that like it really like it but you know it's the kind of thing that she could recommend to her brides to be mm -hmm. for bridal showers and you know no we are not going to show pictures from from no. from mr gigglestick <laughs> no. um on camera okay. but needless to say it is an adult coloring book that is hilarious thank you but you have taken that same brand of humor now that you have and since mr gigglestick you've you <laughs> started a, a, a paper a, a quarterly newspaper in print um that has a very unique brand of humor to it and then you have your new book of limericks yeah it's uh i was trying to think of uh what captain richard dickens that's that's the pen name that i did the the coloring book under i was trying to think of of a sequel to like what he would do next this you know fictional character that i made and uh I thought about making kind of the opposite of the of the the coloring book. It's it's geared toward bachelorette parties, and I thought about making one for bachelor parties, but that's just a road that I didn't want to go down with the objectification of. I just did it. That's a road I didn't want to go down. So I thought let's do something a little smarter, a little but still silly and still satirical. And I thought limericks. That's that's like a fun genre to explore. So I wrote a couple limericks and then. Wrote a couple more, and then I I just had a, a bunch. I just had this routine where I'd wake up every day, and I would I would wake up and I'd make myself a cup of coffee, and I'd go, I'm gonna write a limerick, one a day. <laughs> so I did it for like two months, and I had a mess of limericks at that point, and then I I put them in a little tiny book, and uh, now that's that's Captain Richard Dickens' uh, second book. Second book. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, how do you call through? Did you develop a theme with the limericks? Or did you have to call through to come up with a theme, or is it just a mishmash? Well, at first, I you know I looked up the rules of what a true limerick is, and there there's a little bit of a gray area. It's 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 an old form of poetry, but it's uh the roots of it are are meant to be satirical, this bawdy kind of raunchy. Oh my gosh, what am I what am I looking at? What am I what did I just read? You know, they all have that kind of <laughs> tone to them, and um. And once I, you know, looked at the rhyme scheme and and the the rhythm of it all, um, from there, when I when I made the limericks, I basically would just think of a funny word <laughs> and think of what would be a really funny word to rhyme with, like a kind of risque word or something like that. And then I'd uh, think of a word that rhymed with it and kind of seamed it together that way. Mm -hmm. Or I'd think of just one line that was funny, you know. That was kind of my my rhythm, my my method, I guess. Okay. Well, you know, I want to know why. When I learned about limericks in elementary school, they always we didn't have any with the body rhyming parts. Well, that's that's actually the uh, the, the the root of it. I mean, limericks are these bouncy, fun, short poems, but but the the original ones were actually uh, pretty much meant to be a little shocking. 
Were they kind of like drinking songs? <laughs> yeah, they said you know Limerick, Ireland, yeah, and uh, and and in England too is is where they uh, they originated. So in other words, you need them short and bouncy. Yeah, short bouncy poems and the so, rhyme schemes a uh, a b b a, and there's a rhythm uh, format you have to follow as well. Mm-hmm. So mainly antiseptic meter. If you want to get technical about it, well, let's get technical about it. Well, it's a, it's, it's like a, it's, it's, it's mainly antiseptic, but you can. There's a gray area depending on how you, you, uh, say the line. You know, you can kind of give a beat here, mm-hmm. give a beat there. There's, de- there's definitely a lot of room for, um, poetic license. You know, uh-huh. that's is very much in effect with these limericks because, um, I think uh, some true scholars that some true poetic scholars would probably. Kind of, they'd kind of roll their eyes like, "Oh, limerick," you know, like it, you know, anybody can do a limerick. That's like, you know, it doesn't even have to follow anything that that you know specific, because there is a gray area with the way you you phrase it. But uh, but I think we're we're kind of losing a little bit of that um, in today's society, where it's like the storytelling used to be um, the word of mouth, the the storytelling, and the it, it's kind of like people don't have the the patience for it or something to to really just. Let it, the flavor soak in. And yeah, they've reduced that. their lives to 140 characters. That's it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And lucky ones get 280 on Twitter. <laughs> is that is that a thing now? How they, they were doing a test or something, and they huh. select people. They were giving 280 Just characters random people. Can... I don't know how they huh. decided I didn't get 280. That's okay. <laughs> I'm stuck to 140. <laughs> that's all right. Brevity is the soul of wit, right? <laughs> well, sometimes. <laughs> of course, I don't write anything that's short. That's good. No, my reviews, you know, my yeah. movie reviews are all about 2,000 words. And you just wrote one that was, what, 6,000 recently? Uh, my interview with McGee for his new film, The Babysitter, which I can't recommend highly enough. It is hilarious. It's it's patented McGee with his pulsating soundtrack, um, which he's known for, which everybody really fell into with the Charlie's Angels when he did that. Um, and he's carried that through. But you've got the pulsating soundtrack. It's in a high-octane adrenaline rush with all of these escapades of a kid who has a crush on his babysitter. And the premise is, hmm, I wonder what she does at night. (laughs) And then he finds out what she does at night. And then we get a little bit of John Hughes' Home Alone thrown in there. We get high action. And there's still this wonderful, you know, beaver cleaver sweetness between our protagonist and his babysitter that you kind of can't believe that this this wonderful person who made him feel so important and not as geeky as he as he thought he was turns out to be who she is Mm -hmm. but there's still possible redemption factors but the the use of color everything is beautiful and of course shane hurlbert's cinematography is as always absolutely fabulous but yeah um, yeah, McGee's piece ended up being about 6,000 words. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. The movie is so much fun. This was a great weekend, actually, because in addition to The Babysitter, which is in theaters and also streaming on Netflix, is uh, Happy Death Day from Blumhouse. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I talked to cinematographer Toby Oliver, who did that one the other day. last mm-hmm. uh, I, Thursday, I talked to Toby. And Happy Death Day, it's Think of Groundhog Day. But comedy and horror, mm. and it's uh, hilarious. Isn't that funny about horror? horror there, there's something in, I guess, the synopsis of your brain where something that's a little bit scary, kind of is also funny. Like there's like yeah. something that happens in your brain where it's like they're so closely related to each other in a very odd, atypical way. But there's something about horror where it's like you get scared and then you kind of laugh. You know, it's just a. A funny thing where horror and comedy just blend. If you if if you're good at doing blending them, it's so beautiful to see. Well, and what I love with these films and another one to add to the mix, better watch out. Perfect for Christmas or Halloween. Um, from Chris Peckover, again, you've got this light, you know, younger tone to it, a John Hughes tone, but with a beautiful use of color. A different kind of cinematography and framing than what Shane and McGee have done with theirs and what Toby has done with Happy Death Day. Because Toby with Happy Death Day, 
he has to keep because you're redoing living the same day over and over you got to change it up each day and you got the camera's got to get more frenetic and as she's descending into a nightmare of oh my god again i'm gonna die again Mm-hmm. She dies every day. Yeah. yeah, I saw the previews for that. It looked it's, good. It is great, and it's but but then you get better watch out. And Chris also, what these three filmmakers have done with these quote unquote horror movies, they're comedy, they're horror, but we've seen comedy and horror before, but they never have that light tone in look and in emotional beat. This is a new thing, a new thing within the genre that Mm. we're seeing where the movies are light. So you have a visual lightness that undercuts the horror. So even even any blood and gore, it's not like you're it's not like an insidious. And I love that there is now that option available and these films are being made and they're being made so well with really fun stories. And some great new talents popping up. Um, better watch out. There's a new kid on the block, Levi Miller. Put him on your radar. He plays opposite Ed Oxenblout. And uh, Ed was in the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad, Alexander's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Um, you know, then we've got Samara Weaving, who breaks out, who's opposite Judah Lewis. Judah Lewis we saw in Demolition with Jake Gyllenhaal. Samara is a really new face for most of us and you know they're in the babysitter it's just you know new talents are coming up fresh faces are coming up and a fresh style and i don't know how we got to that but (laughs) i'm happy we did i'm stoked to see the movie now (laughs) you need to see all three of them it's nice to go see it's you know it's been hot yesterday and today and i think i might have to go watch a matinee you know, to to break the heat. Oh, that's right. Because bit. by the time we get out of here and you get home, mm-hmm. you'll still have matinee prices because it'll be <laughs> yeah, before four right. o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and you know, I like going to that new, um, the one on on Jefferson, the new uh, Cinemark oh. on Jefferson, because there's just not many people that go to the theater. It's like you have the whole place to yourself. Really? It's like, yeah. But what are the ticket prices like there? They're uh, they're expensive, but it's not it's not you know outrageous. I've paid more. Yeah, I think they're. I think for a man, they can get twelve bucks or something. So, in other words, all of those email Cinemark coupons I get, I should forward to you. Sure, yeah. <laughs> they yes, all. Have, it's like free this, free that. Do I have to pretend like I'm you? Or are no, they believe they're me? just no. It's <laughs> no, no, no. They're just they're just blind. They, That's I, cool. I get them every week in the yeah. mail in the email. That's awesome. Yeah, in the email. <laughs> I don't believe <laughs> I just said that, but I did. But no, back back to your limerick book. Are there any limericks in there that you can actually say on the air? Yes, there there absolutely are. Most I definitely would not think so. <laughs> most of them would be inappropriate in this particular <laughs> setting. And I, Pam's I, sitting in the is I, I, sitting in the booth and she's laughing. I it's know, like I know where the line is. I swear, <laughs> I don't have to worry. I, I'm, I promise, I'm I'm you know mildly classy, you know in the in the right <laughs> setting. Um, would you like to hear one of the? I, I more... would love to hear a limerick. Okay, this this one's just about uh, ruffling sheets. You can kind of read between the lines, I suppose. Um, what is this? This is on page thirty-two. <laughs> it says, uh, "Your bed looks a little too clean. I hope you know what I mean. It's tidy and neat. Let's ruffle that sheet and do things that shouldn't be seen." So that's just one of the the more mild ones okay my cats could have written that one yeah yes yeah. <laughs> i'm telling you i don't want to i get a little shy i don't want to read okay but what's you know. okay what's the book called though oh it's called uh the world famous little book of limericks and there's a for adults only on the uh, oh yes but on the see front there. <laughs> now we're gonna hold this up to the camera and and lydia when she goes to edit she will also have like jpeg images of this too oh, so cool. that she can put in in insets in the in the video edit I can email them to you if that you would like. Be, that would be very nice, and it would make Lydia very happy that I have images yeah, you got it. to send her. Um, but And people can find it. Well, we can't even show the cover of Mr. Giggles. No, no, no yeah, we, can't, we can't show that. Yeah. Um, but where can people buy these? Well, there's a couple of different places. Um, Amazon is probably the easiest for most people, but uh, Etsy is nice. Um, you can actually order it anywhere in the world on Etsy, which is cool. Um, 
bachelorette.com um me <laughs> you know um yeah it's it's you know it's it's out there it's online um it's the, the limerick book right now anyway is nowhere near as popular as the coloring book cuz the coloring book has a kind of like an actual function like people bring it to bachelorette yeah. parties um i just got an order the other day for 10 of them and it was i'm i guarantee you it's a bachelorette party oh of course why would anyone buy <laughs> 10 of the same book so yeah. so that helps with those sales um the limerick book we'll see how this does you know i think it's i don't know how many people are writing limericks these days but it's a fun stocking stuffer for christmas yeah it's it's little it's fun and i i had a good time doing it you know it's, i've made people laugh and you also did the illustrations in here oh, yeah. the, the banner the banner edgings oh yeah i, I drew the banner um and also there there's a <laughs> those are the men from the coloring book so there's that are here so you have some of the the crossover yeah so there's a, there's a limerick associated with each, with each of the men from the coloring book okay and you can color i'm looking at them yeah. now and yes you can color those in too yeah you could yeah if it would take a lot of detail but you could if you wanted to well you sure. know you colored pencils are the are the wave of of adulthood now <laughs> yeah it's true yeah isn't that funny i i when i had the idea for the coloring book well i had an idea um, I was actually walking to my uh, my night job. I'm a I'm a bartender at uh, the backstage. And He's a very bar. good one, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Debbie. No, everybody knows. I've mentioned the backstage many times yeah. over the past four years. <laughs> I'm happy you go there. That place is has a very rich history of creatives for. I mean, what eighty something years now? Eighty something years. The Munchkins used to drink there after they had ate, after they had you know trashed the Culver Hotel. Yeah, it's it's so it's a really amazing place. Um, I've only been going there for what twenty five years, and, and you never know who you're sitting next to. It could be the cleaner from Sony Studios. It could be a movie star having a bad day. <laughs> you know, it's you never know mm -hmm. at that place. It could be the whole production design team from yeah. One Day at a Time. Yeah, and, and people just go. It's and the thing is, it doesn't matter when you go into that no. place. It's like as long as you're polite and nice, it doesn't matter if you're the the janitor or the or the movie star. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes they look the same. <laughs> you know, depending on what kind of day they're having. Yeah. And mm -hmm. what they've been through, but um, but anyways, I was I was going to work one day, and uh, I was feeling a little exhausted, and uh, and I was thinking, man, I was like, man, I, I'm really overworked right now. I, I think everybody's felt that way, and I thought, you know, I just need to to play a little bit, and uh, and I think as an adult, we're sort of a lot of us are are robbed of our playtime, and when you're a kid, uh, when you play, it's like it's just for the sake of playing. It's mm -hmm. when you're an adult, it's kind of like. If you play, sometimes there's an angle to it, like, uh, like, oh, this is, I'm gonna get, you know, healthy at the same time, like I'm working out or playing basketball or something. And but grownups, a lot of us don't play just for the sake of playing. So I had this idea to make an adult coloring book with crossword puzzles and word seeks, and I was all excited. And when I got home from work, I googled adult coloring book, and I was like, oh my god, I'm the first one that's ever thought of this. And sure enough, there were a bunch, you know, mm -hmm. or not a bunch, but there were, Some. I don't know. Maybe a dozen, two dozen okay. at a time. So I was trying to think of a of a, a genre that hadn't been done, and that's why I did the the Bachelorette themed coloring book, and that's that led to this funny little book and, of limericks. And it's funny because it's like right after the book was published is when yeah I got lucky yeah it, well right after it was published is mm -hmm. when it, within what a month or so. The boom happened with the coloring books. Well, yeah. but that's also when I had it, when Renee was mm -hmm. here, and we were talking about it on the show. Yeah. So it's like, yes, I was one of the first ones to talk about your coloring Thank book. Thank you. It, it's it's a cool thing that, that all these adult coloring books are, are, are selling, but it's also a little bit sad because not quite as many people are buying books. Like, if you look at the best-selling books, you know, the New York Times bestsellers, a lot of them are coloring books. It's yeah. Because people are, maybe, maybe they're reading it on tablets mm -hmm. or something, but but it's a, you know, people don't read as much as they used yeah. to they they watch these little snippets you know see i can't do that and anybody who watches the show this month and uh, this month in particular i've got a lot of books on the table scale yeah, 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 a yeah. lot of books and all of them but for one have all been adapted for films we've got charles martin the the mountain between us with is now a film directed by Hani Abu Saad and starring Idris Elba and Kate Winslet, which is out now. We've got Vince Flynn's American Assassin. Um, this one, oh, Goodbye Christopher Robin by Anthwaite. It's, yes, which is in theaters now and 
five boxes of Kleenex, people. Five <laughs> boxes of Kleenex. It is the story behind Winnie the Pooh in the House at Pooh Corner. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. Yeah. And they actually filmed, and I'm thrilled because Simon Curtis actually signed that book, and Simon directs the movie. And they actually filmed it. They didn't film it in the actual house by the 100 Acre, what would become the 100 Acre Wood, because that would have been renovated and remodeled, but there's one right near it that they used. So it's very similar to the A.A. Milne house which Christopher Robin grew up in, which all the great stories were invented, but they shot in the 100-acre wood. They shot at Pooh Bridge, where Pooh and Christopher Robin played Pooh sticks mm-hmm. in in the water. And then there's a beautiful rock that Christopher Robin and his father, the weekend when they came up with the idea for these sto- Chris, Winnie the Pooh stories, that they would sit at and look out from the 100-acre wood. And they actually filmed on at that particular rock, which has a plaque and everything wow, in it. That's so beautiful. you watch this film, and everything that we have grown up with, th- these are the places. So it just adds another level of magic to the film. I I, I love this. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> I I I love it. I l- absolutely love it. And, of course, Victorian Abdul is also out. That is based on a book. And then a new film coming out this coming week uh, is Same Kind of Different as Me, a very inspirational film written by Denver Moore and Ron Hall. Um, I did not know what to expect with this movie. It's the kind of movie that there is faith in it, but you know with faith-based movies they can go so far to the right or so far to the left. And this one, it just walks in the middle. It's exceedingly well done. Stars Greg Kinnear, uh, Renee Zellweger, um, John Voight, and in an Academy Award worthy, worthy performance of Fiverr Salwin, uh, Jaiman Hansu. Um, there needs to be buzz for Jaiman in this film. He's that good. But the best part is you can read all of this before you see the film. That's the way to do it. Or after. Mm-hmm. But, you know, talking about reading, I didn't. I failed to mention, our guest who's going to be calling in very shortly is an author, a screenwriter, a Harvard fellow and professor, and he's one of the leading authorities on human trafficking. Siddharth Kara is going to be joining us to talk about his film, Trafficked. It's based on his book, Sex Trafficking. He wrote the screenplay. Will Wallace directed the film. Talk about a powerhouse film. Talk about subject matter. Um, Film stars Ashley Judd, Ann Archer, Patrick Duffy. Who else is in this thing? Um, Kelly Washington, Jessica Obalam, Alba Banker, Sean Patrick Flannery, Courtney Gaines, Jason London, I mean, and with the beauty of this film, you think, like Ashley Judd, you would think she would take, like, a a nicer role. We have a lot of role reversal going on with this film. Uh, as it takes a look at human trafficking, focusing on three girls, uh, based on Sidharth's book, which is a, a, a nonfiction book on trafficking, um, a young girl from Nigeria, a girl from India, and a girl from the United States. That's one of the eye-opening things. The film had its premiere at the United Nations um, and was recognized by various councils there because it is a global, it's a global problem. Yeah, it's important to see movies like this. It's not just go and check, you know, check out for a little while. Sometimes, yeah. you know, go see a movie and, and it's... It's eye-opening. It's informative, and 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 you, sh- you should see movies like this. It's you know, not, might not be comfortable all the time, but it's important. Well, and there again, you can also get the book and read more about the facts. Yeah, but oh, we have Sidharth is on the line. Are we ready to talk to Sidharth, Charlie? Oh yeah. Okay, I expect you to open your mouth. Don't be <laughs> Steve. Okay. No, Sidharth, welcome to Behind the Lens. 
Thank you so much. Good I, to be with you. I am so excited to have you joining us today. Not only is this an incredibly important issue around the world, but I have to say, this film, I was mesmerized. I was riveted watching Trafficked. I couldn't believe what I was seeing because over the years I, I've watched some other films on trafficking, Trade with Kevin Klein, Priceless that the Smallbones did, Whistleblower, um, the television series Human Trafficking, and even, you know, going back, oh, almost 15 years to Spartan. But nothing has ever really tied trafficking together like this particular movie. And well, Thank you for your very kind words. Um, uh, it means a great deal to me uh, that the film, you found the film moving, and I think what you touched on is, is so very important that the primary thing I tried to accomplish with this film was to tell a global story, uh, an authentic story, and one that would really move uh, and hopefully motivate the audience to get involved with the issue. Well, I think I think you definitely, you know, tackled that very handily um, because you did something that all predecessor films have not done is you open it up on a global scale to begin with. As we meet the girls, you know, our three primary girls from America, Nigeria and India before we've seen such as the whistleblower. It was based it was based on the Bosnian uh, U.N. sex scandal. Well, it was focused in Bosnia. We weren't, weren't really getting a sense of the global aspect of it. With trade, that was dealing with a Texas cop. His daughter, he thought, was a sex slave. And he's helping a young Mexican boy try and find his sister. But it never really opened up priceless. It was bringing girls across the border and across country. Here, you put this on a global scale to begin with, but you look at it beyond sex trafficking, and you bring into play here body organ trafficking, drug trafficking, gun trafficking. How much research, because I know this is based on your book, Sidhar, so I'm curious, your research pro uh, process to arrive at the, your ultimate book, and then what made you turn it into a film? Well, I'm glad that you noted the international facet of this of this film, and that was one of the crucial elements that I wanted to achieve in writing it. It is a global issue. It's not just a country-specific issue or a regional issue. It is a global issue, and human trafficking networks cooperate transnationally to move humans, and as you rightfully pointed out, the film does touch on the fact that these same networks are trafficking uh, in weapons, drugs, uh, and organs all at the same time. Um, so that was a very crucial element, uh, and no film had really done that previously in trying to tell the human trafficking story. The research for this film goes back many, many years. Um, as you pointed out, it is inspired by my very first book uh, that I wrote called Sex Trafficking Inside the Business of Modern Slavery. I spent uh, over a decade traveling to dozens of countries around the world trying to understand um, as, as, as deeply as I could how human trafficking networks work, how they function, uh, and also to gather the human side of this story, mm -hmm. to, to document actual slaves and to hear their voices of what they've been through. Uh, and the film uh, tries to do one other thing, which I think is very important and gets lost in the conversation about this issue, which is to give voice to, to those voiceless slaves that no one's listening to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think you do that beautifully. When did you arrive at, how did this become a film? This is not the kind of book that I think a lot of, a lot of filmmakers would be out there looking to option and turn into a film, although many should be. Um, so how did it, how, what was that chain like uh, for it to be turned into a film? And with Will Wallace well, directing. Yeah, quite right. This isn't exactly the kind of subject matter that um, you know major Hollywood producers and studios are clamoring to option the rights to. It's very challenging subject matter, um, and the process was. I first step was I felt uh, I needed to make sure I had a role in which I could ensure authenticity and integrity, um, because otherwise it's just betraying um, 
all the survivors that I met uh, and the crucial importance of, of making people aware of this issue. So I sat down to write the script myself. Uh, based on my book, I, I used cases I had actually documented and sort of amalgamated some of them and tried to weave together a story that would be both engaging for an audience but also allow you to learn along the way as much as possible about the the inner truth and inner working of this issue. Uh, of course, my first attempt at writing a script was probably quite terrible. I'd never done it before, um, but I managed to get a little bit of feedback from a couple of colleagues in the industry, uh, and things sort of really took off when I connected with the lead producer on the film, Conroy Cantor. Um, she had the ability to raise some financing and, uh, of course, had produced films before, and things, as I'm told, happened fairly quickly by independent film standards. I think from a uh, finished script to the theater screens was uh, roughly three years. Wow. Wow. I'm, su- I'm surprised. How challenging was it um, for the financing to come into play? Because, again, while you may not have producers jumping with interest for to take a book like this and turn it into a film, um, people who are ponying up the money probably even less so. Oh, Absolutely. Um, because if you're, if you're in the business of financing film, you know, you think about what's my audience size, how am I going to market this and how will I get my money back, uh, from ticket sales and ancillary markets and that whole, um, sequence of events. So, um, the one thing that happened with this film, Debbie, is there was, we benefited from the fact that, um, people sort of came together understanding the importance of this film and the issue, and that a human trafficking film that told the global story authentically, drawn from true cases, really hadn't been done before. And the right kind of people were attracted to it to get involved, and that included the financiers, ultimately the cast, the crew. We have some fairly big-name um, actors in this film <laughs> you certainly uh, do uh, who who were drawn because of the cause, not because we were able to write a very big paycheck, uh, but they wanted to be a part of uh, a film like this, uh, whose goal is to raise awareness of one of the pressing human rights tragedies of our time well and and you mentioned the cast, and this is something I find very striking is you 've got Ashley Judd, Ann Archer, Patrick Duffy leading the cast. And what I found so striking is that Ashley and Patrick are both really cast against type in this film. And yes, quite right. You you think of you know Ashley Judd as the uh, the very endearing, sweet um, um, character, uh, and, and Patrick, of course, one associates him with Bobby Ewing. I mean, the upstanding, integrity-based <laughs> character, and yet the two of them turn out to be. <laughs> Uh, quite devastatingly um, horrible people uh, in this film. Uh, so they are, they were cast against type, and I think that's something that was uh, appealed to them mm-hmm. um, because, it, to some extent, you're not really expecting it uh, out of them, and it's all the more jarring. And and Patrick Duffy talks about this, uh, and he really understood from the very beginning the malevolence in this world isn't sort of wearing you know. Um, dark clothes with a surly mustache and a sign that says, look at me, I'm a, I'm a bad guy. It's not like that. It's, it's the very charming people, the people that you wouldn't uh, necessarily suspect who end up uh, being traffickers or the purchases, purchasers of women and children uh, who are forced into prostitution. Um, and, and so Ashley and, and Patrick really captured that um, nuance and complexity of the truth of what evil in our world is. Mm. And they bring it then also in the way you have crafted the character, their characters of Diane and Christian, v- great moral ambiguity because you also do see, even if it may be as a facade, you also do see seeds of goodness that they are doing on one hand, you know, helping the economy, you know, being, you know, uh, dealing in beef, you know, providing food, you know, being part of the social services system with, you know, children that have nowhere to go. So you see that moral ambiguity just takes it even further. Well, and again, that's the, you know, that's the truth of 
um, of most uh, manifestations of good and evil in our world today. It's, it's very rarely so textbook, black and white, cut and dry. Um, those characters really bring out some of the nuance um, uh, of that nature of good and evil, uh, as does the character played by Sean Patrick Flannery, mm-hmm. um, Simon, the, the gentleman who runs the brothel in, in Houston, near Houston where the young girls end up. Uh, and I think he does a masterful job of that. Uh, I mean, at times... He's, he comes across as so charming and even mm-hmm. doting and gentle, and then at other times so brutal uh, and, and merciless. And you find that with human traffickers, they do have that duality to them through, that allows them to then exert control and power over another person. Uh, it's not just sticks and chains and, and broken bones. It's oftentimes seduction. Uh, and uh, evoking trust out of uh, a victim, uh, and then, of course, causing great harm to them should they step out of line. So those characters, those actors, they did a wonderful job of really um, eliciting that nuance that is so true to the nature of human trafficking. Well, and you also throw in the character of Enrique, played by Efren Ramirez, and this is something that escapes people. You think of human trafficking, you think only of females. He essentially an employee in Simon's brothel. He himself has been trafficked. That's absolutely right. Uh, there are uh, millions upon millions of individuals who are trafficked for exploitation and labor. Uh, it's not just sex trafficking, of course. Sex trafficking makes by far the most profits for traffickers anywhere in the world, by far. But millions and millions of individuals are trafficked for exploitation and labor in any number of industries. It could be hospitality, could be construction, could be mining, um, manufacturing. I mean, the list goes on and on across the global economy. And Enrique is one of those individuals who has a very vulnerable background. He's an irregular migrant in this country. He doesn't have papers. His family is destitute. He's desperate to earn any sort of income he can to try to help them accepts an offer that ends up being coerced labor um, behind, uh, essentially behind bars inside this brothel, serving drinks to the men who come and purchase these children. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you're also producer on, on this, so I've got to ask you, Sidharth, jumping into the world of film, it's one thing, you've got your book, you finally get it adapted into a screenplay, but then you're also producing. So what was that? learning curve like for you coming into the film world? You know, that's a very interesting question. And in fact, um, when I do interviews and get asked about what was it like going from investment banking into human rights research in the far boonies of the world, uh, it's sort of a similar sharp left turn that I, I, I take and have taken in the course of my life. And I think for me, I've learned to do things usually by just jumping in all the way. Uh, I had no background in human rights research when I took my first research trip in the summer of 2000, and of course now 16 years later I've got three books and I teach a class at the Kennedy School at Harvard University um, and uh, am involved in this issue very passionately around the world. So it was another sort of sharp left turn to not just write the script but then endeavor to produce the film, and that was important to me going back to the same issue of trying to ensure as much authenticity and integrity in the film and the output in, in, in what we ultimately produced. And I was very fortunate that um, you know, the producers and director on the film um, shared that vision with me and, and wanted me to have that role. Um, uh, so I consider myself very fortunate that I was in the position to be involved with things like casting and location scouting, um, set decoration, and then, of course, being on set every day of the shoot uh, to help however I could, maybe with actors, to really bring out that authentic journey into the descent mm-hmm. of servitude so that it rings true to anyone who sees it, uh, ultimately to being involved in the post-production process as well. So it was a bit of a film film uh, uh, degree 101 for me. <laughs> Well, I've got to ask you, since you were on set every day and ensuring authenticity, your three young actresses, Kelly Washington, Jessica Obalam, and Alpa Banker, how closely did you work with the three of them? Because they play the the three primary girls. 
that are in quote unquote captivity, Sarah, Molly, and Amba. So I'm curious how you worked with them so that they could appreciate and embody the emotional aspect of this situation. Yes, well, um, you know, when we cast Kelly, Jessica, and Alpa, um, I knew from the beginning that they were the right three to really pour their hearts into these roles, and that's what it was going to take to pull it off, uh, to just put every ounce of your heart sweat and soul into these roles. So I met with them before the shoot, uh, before we started uh, actually shooting the film, and I said, you know, you've got a tremendous responsibility, no pressure or anything, but you have a tremendous responsibility here. There are millions and millions of traffic sex slaves in the world who you're speaking for uh, and who could benefit um, by virtue of your performance in this film. If we get people engaged in being a part of uh, eradicating human trafficking from the world, uh, and every one of them, those three girls understood that and took it very seriously. I gave them some literature to read so that they could try to understand the issue um, as accurately as possible. And I arranged for them to speak with a, a survivor of sex trafficking to be able to ask her questions so they could really understand as much as one can um, uh, without going through the journey um, what the what the truths of this issue are. Because many of them are sort of counterintuitive uh, and, and not what you'd expect. Um, so they were as prepared as they can be, I believe. And then, of course, on the set, um, if it took several sh uh, takes of one scene uh, to get the right uh, moment out of them and, and, and the right intensity, then, of course, that's what we did. And um, thankfully, each one of them really, really put their hearts into it, and I'm, I'm proud of them. Yeah, I'm curious, Siddharth, if you and Will had any kind of trepidation. One of the most shocking scenes for me that I did not expect, one of the most shocking scenes in the film was the organ removal scene. I didn't see that coming at all. And then all of a sudden we're in a back room and there are body parts being harvested. Was there any kind of trepidation about including that, not including it? Because that really hammers home another entire level of what can happen if the girls don't perform the way they're supposed to perform and they end up, you know, being killed. I mean, well, it's a shocking scene. You're exactly right. <laughs> and one of the things that has emerged from my research and that I write about in my books is slavery in the contemporary world, these human trafficking networks, they are motivated by one thing and one thing alone, and that is to find as many, as many ways as possible to monetize the human body. That could mean exploiting them for sex, labor, or their body parts, or all three of those things. And, and I've documented many cases in which all three took place. So you have to actually really get shocked into thinking about the reality that there are people in this world who are reduced to little more than how their body parts, their labor, their service can be transformed into profit for their exploiter. Um, and organ trafficking is a much bigger issue than people realize, and I, I devote an entire chapter to that issue on my th in my third book that just came out called Modern Slavery, um, because I had documented cases like the ones depicted in the film. And we did talk about it. Um, and we talked constantly about the most important aspect of making this film, which was balance. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be true to the horrors of, of modern slavery, but not so true that it becomes impossible to watch the film. Right. But you also can't sanitize it so much that you betray all the slaves in this world and the horrors of their journey. So it's a very delicate, complicated balance that we had to find scene by scene, character by character. Uh, and yes, of course, there was uh, debate many times uh, on what that really means, balance on these matters. Mm -hmm. um, and it's up to audiences to determine if, you know, if we found a good balance. Uh, but certainly, I wanted to be sure at the end of the day that this film nudges a little bit towards shaking people up, mm -hmm. shaking them out of their apathy um, um, uh, about this issue and shaking them into realizing there's a real 
um, tragedy of horrors taking place in this world every day under our noses, and it's called slavery and human trafficking. Well, you know, when you talk about balance, I think a lot of credit goes to Will as a director because so much of the visual tone is kept with a lighter, it's like even within the brothel, it doesn't look dark and dank and disgusting as some people might imagine it. You don't have little red light bulbs hanging outside the door. Um, you know, it actually it's a nice looking, you know, respectable looking place. We have the lightness and the beauty of Mother Monica and and her facility. So he keeps that. Yeah, I think that's where you get a lot of your balance is from Will's con- construct of the visuals. Yeah, that's a good point. The the visuals was was certainly a very important aspect. Lighting and set decoration was a very very important aspects of of balance. And one of the things I explained to the team was, you know, because I've been inside these places, whether it's you know tra- sex trafficking brothels in in India uh, or in the United States and everywhere in between. And and so I I was able to say, look, they they aren't as you describe these dark dungeonous, grimy, mold-infested places, many times, uh, many times they're quite appealing. And mm-hmm. they need to be quite appealing because consumers come there and they want an appealing experience. Um, so I was able to give some good input, I think, on what these places really look like on the inside. Some of them are sort of dank and dungeonous um, in certain parts of the world, but mm-hmm. in other parts they're made to be quite appealing and quite engaging um, as part of that facade of legitimacy and mm-hmm. that facade of willingness and choice that the industry does try to put forth sometimes on behalf of the traffic victim, that, look, they're in this lovely place. They want to be here. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about whether they're really choosing to be here or not. Um, it's, very, it's a very interesting aspect of the human trafficking world, the sex trafficking world in, in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's funny. Here with me in studio today... Um, is Charlie McNulty. Charlie is also, he's a writer. He's got a, a small newspaper. He's also a filmmaker. So, and I'm looking at his face as he's listening to you, Sidharth, and he is just taking all of this in. Because I, I don't think Charlie has ever embarked on anything as detailed and involved as this particular project. No, I don't think I have, Sidharth. Um, it's, it's refreshing, I got to say, for somebody to take. Uh, the plunge into this it's it's got to be a it must take a very brave person i'm thankful you made something like this um I had well to... you're very kind um and I, I appreciate that um i don't know whether it's bravery or or madness but certainly <laughs> um you know for me i am driven by uh the thousands of slaves i've met around this world um across 17 years of research at this point to tell their stories to convey their tragedy uh, as as accurately, authentically, and powerfully as possible, so that people get moved uh, to join our efforts at eradicating slavery. Well, you mentioned earlier that there's something that we could do. Like some, I'm just a regular guy. What what can I do? I mean, you've raised all this awareness. Um, do you have any advice or any way to get involved at all? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, of course, it is to organize in your in your social networks, your community, your family, your friends. Um, uh, to ensure people get uh, knowledgeable about this issue, see a film, read a book. Uh, that's spreading awareness. That's very important. Um, there are numerous wonderful um, nonprofit organizations that are dealing and fighting with uh, against human trafficking every day, and they do different things. Some um, try to empower survivors. Some do policy work to try to get better laws passed. Uh, some operate shelters. Um, they are all working on shoestring budgets and understaffed. And if there's a way to support them um, uh, to, to, to volunteer or to donate funds to these organizations, that's a very tangible and crucial way in which anyone can get involved in this issue. Uh, and then I think use these tools we have. Uh, when I give lectures, I often talk about the very first anti-slavery movement, which began in England in 1787. Um, and they didn't have social media and the Internet and all of these tools we have to gather and share information. Um, they had to go by horseback from place to place to get uh, narratives 
uh, about slavery and persuade the British Parliament to outlaw slavery. And it took them years and years and years to do this. But we have these tools where we can share information and organize ourselves uh, and organize movements um, so powerfully today. So I would encourage anyone to use these tools we have, make a short film, um, do a march against human trafficking in your community to raise resources or demand that your elected officials do more. There are several laws pending in this country uh, right now. We have good laws in place, but there are many more that have been passed by uh, either the House or the Senate or not both, and they're getting caught up in minutia, and, and we need to demand that our lawmakers do more. I'll say one last thing on that point. Right now, there's a uh, Trafficking Reauthorization Act um, uh, up for debate in Congress, and it actually calls for substantial amounts of funding to be set aside to help with transitional protections for children coming out of foster care in this country. And if you remember, that's that's one of the very important stories this film tells. Mm-hmm. Is when, a, when a young girl ages out of foster care in this country, she's often just suddenly on her own, and traffickers are swooping in um, and recruiting those young women. So there's a lot any individual can do. Yeah, Siddharth, this is it's an amazing film, amazing books. I know we're actually out of time today. I mean, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I hope you will come back on the show. You have other books that I would love to talk to you about uh, on air and, and spread the awareness on this subject matter. And I'm particularly interested in seeing your new book and reading the chapter on body organ uh, trafficking. Uh that that's something that I remember over the past few decades when it started uh, college campuses and there were stories of people going to parties and they would wake up in a bathtub filled with ice and their kidney had been removed because they'd been drugged and drunk and uh, things happen. Um, this goes to a whole new level, though. Um, and I think it's something that uh, people do need more awareness about. So I would love to have you back on the show to talk about it. I'd love that too, Debbie. Anytime. Oh, Siddharth, thank you so, so much. Trafficked is in theaters now, so everybody can go see it. Um, is it playing on any of the digital or pay-per-view platforms? Do you know, Siddharth? It will be. It um, will be. We've just come out in limited release right. uh, in a handful of cities across the country, and I think that will run its course for a few more weeks, and, and then we will expect to be on um, most or all of the digital platforms mm-hmm probably later this year or early next year. Terrific. Well, when we go digital, I want you back on the show no matter what. Excellent. Oh, Siddharth, thank you so, so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at your face as you're listening. It, it's shocking. Yeah, it's heavy stuff. <laughs> it's, I do not shy away from heavy stuff here. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I do not do it. You know, Stories like this, these are real. These are not made-up stories. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he could take these factual scenarios and turn this into a narrative film that engrosses you, as opposed to it being a documentary, uh, it you know it speaks volumes as to his skill and that of Will Wallace as a director. But also, it's something that, as opposed to a documentary, you'll get people in the seats. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. People will want to see it with the cast, the subject matter, um, and the fact that it isn't totally dank and dark and disgusting as you would expect a documentary to be. He has like an element of glamour to it, huh? You know, you watch it and you see how residents in the area and how the consumer just takes it all in. Mm -hmm. You know, to them, it's, it's just a brothel or... The best little whorehouse in Texas, but they don't stop and think about where these girls came from. Yeah. Mm. Well, unfortunately, we are actually all out of time today. So tell everybody again where they can get <laughs> the world famous Little Book of Limericks and Mr. Gigglestick coloring book. That's right. That's uh, just Amazon and Etsy. You <laughs> 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 said you had two polar opposites today. <laughs> That's just Here's it. Something light and fun. Here's something very deep and heavy. <laughs> That's just it. That's what I'm here for. So did you have fun today? Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Okay, so now you can go back and tell Steve that you were here too. Will do. (laughs) And that's it for this week. Next week, next week is going to be lots of fun. Next week, I have David Burkham calling in to talk about his documentary, 
haze about, you guessed it, the Greek hazing system in our college campuses. So, until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.